Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Franz Tapon. I've been revising my book, The Hidden Europe, so that it is out for the 10th anniversary. And in so doing, I have been interviewing and talking with a lot of Eastern European experts to find out what has changed in the last 10 years. And one of those experts is Alex Cooley. He has been living in Hungary for many decades. He and I went to college together. And I talked to him about whether Hungary is becoming a dictatorship. In 2020, they just had the 10th anniversary of the Treaty of Trianon, which I talked about extensively. And I want to find out how that is all going on. He's a recovering journalist. And he is somebody who has a lot of insight into what Hungary's leader, whose name is Viktor Orban, is doing and what he's been doing for the last few years and what is the potential future of Hungary. So if you don't know much about Hungary, this is a great episode to do that. It's sponsored by my patrons. Thank you. What's changed in the last decade for Hungary? I would say that if you want to understand what has uh, been going on in Hungary in the past 10 years, you really have to go back just a bit further. Uh, You have to go back to uh, 2006, the elections that took place that year. Uh, That was the year that the Prime Minister, whose name was Ferenc Gyurcsány of the Hungarian Socialist Party, which is officially the successor to the old Communist Party, the uh, legal successor, um, won re-election by a very narrow margin against uh, Viktor Orban and his party, which is known as Fides. Um, did you write about this in the uh, earlier version of your book? Yeah, I did mention his name and that kind of stuff. But I do know that in the last, I mean, I, I'm not following Hungary. Obviously, I don't live there, so I don't follow it as closely as obviously you do. But I have noticed that they seem to be the bastion of, quote unquote, extremism and, quote unquote, fascism in Eastern Europe. They're kind of like, Donald Trump on drugs, Donald Trump to the 10th power. So that's the impression of the little smatterings I've gotten kind of like the evolution for the last 10 years. Is my characterization off base or what do you think? Well, we'll, we'll get to that in a second. Like I say, if you, if you, in order okay. to understand all this, you got to go back to 2006 and look at the, this election and what happened in the aftermath. So this prime minister, Ferenc Durchein, he's a um, one-time communist youth leader, who became one of the wealthiest men in the country at the time, because that's what communists do. He uh, became the first Hungarian prime minister to win re-election since communism collapsed in that year, uh, 2006. His popularity immediately plummeted into the toilet. The uh, coalition, which had been in power since 2002, had been very badly mismanaging uh, the economy. In 2006, uh, the budget deficit came in at... 9.5% 9.5% of GDP, which is extremely high. I, I think it was the highest in Europe at the time. Right. I think normally it's between 1% to 3%. Right. Well, 3% is the cap that the um, European Union wants you to have. And um, you guys and were at 9. 9.5, yeah, in 2006. Nice. The national debt had uh, shot up 10% between 2002 and 2006. It was at like 65% of uh, GDP. So in 2006, the first thing that this guy, Durchein, does is introduces austerity measures under pressure from the European Union and their monetary hawks in Brussels. And people were absolutely furious. Uh, they felt like they'd been duped, and um, they had. You know, the prime minister's popularity was already in the toilet because of the austerity measures. 
And uh, then he, uh, with, with these riots and the revelations that uh, he and his party had been lying to the public about the uh, economic shambles that the country was in, it uh, basically put him beyond recovery. His position became untenable after that. Uh, Jurchine should have resigned. He should have been politically astute enough to realize that he was one bad break away from total disaster. And that bad break came in 2008 with the financial crisis, the global financial crisis. When the global financial crisis uh, struck, Hungary had to take out an IMF standby loan and introducing more austerity. So adding insult to injury from the people who were already stung from the first round in 2006. There's a lot of people who, who kind of su suggest that austerity measures never work and they always backfire and blah, blah, blah. But I'm sure that there are cases where austerity must have worked and sometimes is the right solution. But I don't know if you've actually looked into that or not. Well, in Hungary in 1995-96. Uh, they did austerity back then, too. Yeah, right. No, it, was, uh, okay. it was huge. You know, involved the massive uh, devaluation of the forint. Which is the currency of Hungary? Yeah. So what happened next? In um, October of that year, Orban and his Fidesz party swept the municipal elections. Uh, they won every major city in the country, except for Budapest and Szeged. And they won all the counties in Hungary, except for one. So landslide so, victory. Landslide victory. And he began building his power. Partially due to these austerity measures, partially due to this recordings and other bullshit. That yeah, and the riots. And he, you know, like I say, he really harnessed public anger. You know, Orban is one of the few people, one of the few politicians in Hungary who can actually deliver moving speeches, speeches that are actually memorable and uh, get people really aroused. There, there are very few gifted speakers in Hungary. Hungary has very few political speeches that people remember. I mean, you know, in America, everybody knows a few lines of the Gettysburg Address. Everybody knows a few lines of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. Um, but in Hungary, there are... Yeah, exactly. But there are very few actual speeches. In Hungary, what they have is poems. The, the poets are the great um, political movers and shakers. But Orban is one of uh, a handful of politicians that can actually arouse people with his uh, with his words with his flash forward 15 years later is orban still in power yeah yeah that's what i thought okay i i wasn't 100 percent sure so he kind of came off on this fomenting revolution and he has been milking it ever since yes how is his popularity today alex it's uh it's declining a little bit uh due to covid and a couple of uh major scandals but we'll get to that okay if i could please just Sure. Continue. continue. Continue explaining here. I've got the uh, big points here. So yes, um, Orban swept up in the polls. You know, the socialists uh, were fumbling around somewhere at twenty percent, which is about half their previous support. And uh, when the two thousand ten election rolled around, Orban won with a two thirds majority in parliament, which is Huge. a critical majority because that allows you to um, single-handedly implement just about any reform you want. There were cases in a recent American history where either a Republican president had, I think uh, it was a Bush that had, I think for two years, a Republican Congress. And I think Obama might have had even a Democratic Congress. I could be wrong about yes. Obama. But no, anyway, you're right. You're there, right. Were, there were brief moments. You would think that all sorts of legislation would get passed under these uh, one-party rules. But surprisingly little changed during those short periods of time. 
is is Hungary the same thing? No. Or, or did, were they able to actually get shit that they want to get done? Let's uh, let's let's continue with the narrative here. Okay, <laughs> let's go. In 2010, Orban won every single constituency in the entire country except for three. The narrative of the past ten years is uh, the story of Orban implementing this creeping illiberal democracy. This is the term that uh, is applied to him now. It actually was not invented by Orban. It was invented by Fareed Zakaria. So illiberal democracy dominated by a single party and a single man. He is the one who is putting this uh, notion of illiberal democracy into practice. And it is based upon this 19th century version of nationalism and uh, the, the good old Hungarian sense of victimhood, which has been such a uh, prominent part of our uh, social psychology and uh, political culture. And this is how he keeps the public passion behind it. That's what's been going on for the, 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 the past uh, 10 years, is this uh, you know, de facto takeover of all state institutions by a single party and the blurring of... Uh, not only the difference between party and government, but between party and nation. Now, a lot of people who come from democracies, that are, you know, strong democracies, bristle at such things. But I like to remind people that, you know, Putin, yes, for all his kind of dictatorial tendencies, he still remains surprisingly popular and has been popular for over 20 years on his approval ratings in Russia. So my question is, is Orban... Is he also in that mold? Because I think some people who are kind of dictators, if you want to call them that, are popular. Oh, he's, he's absolutely popular. And this, is, this has changed very recently because of uh, COVID and because of uh, some other um, party scandals that I think I'll, I'll talk about just a bit later. Um, so your, your political scandals, uh, including one of his chief lieutenants getting caught at a gay sex party in Brussels and climbing out the window to escape from the police and uh, oh, nice. injuring himself on the way down. And the police ended up uh, picking him up. And it was uh, that was just a bit too much for the um, for the uh, villagers in the countryside to, to stop. OK, was he wearing his underwear at least? <laughs> I actually don't know uh, what he managed to throw on, but it was an illegal party because of COVID in Brussels. And right. uh, it was uh, something like 25 men and all naked. Nice. nice. Um, Imagine if. And here in California that we make a big deal about our governor having dinner without masks on. And I can only imagine if our governor went into a gay sex orgy, how people would react. Right. So um, <laughs> anyway, you asked about um, is this fascism? If, you know, if we're talking about the idea that, uh, that fascism is uh, a political philosophy that exalts nation above uh, individuals, racial superiority, and uh, centralized governing power embodied in a single man, then I would say that um, you know, Hungary is certainly not anything like what you would imagine other fascist regimes, like uh, you know, the Third Reich or uh, you know, Pinochet's Chile. So okay, so you would say fascism light, maybe. I mean, in the same way that... I would say authoritarian, Okay, it's probably a better right. thing to uh, use than um, than fascism. Again, uh, you know, I'm sitting here talking to you. I'm saying things that are critical of the government. 
Uh, it would be the last thing I would expect to have two men in you know, dark suits showing up at my door after this is done and saying, you know, uh, Mr. Cooley, you, you come with us, please. Uh, don't worry about your bag. You won't need it. No, it's, it's just not going to happen. Is that how a Hungarian sounds when he's speaking English? It sounds more almost like a Russian. <laughs> ah, I was, I was just making it up. I'm not. Uh... <laughs> I'm sure you can imitate a Hungarian trying to speak English with a heavy ac- Hungarian accent. Oh, well, you know. <laughs> I, I can fly. It's got to happen spontaneously. I can't. Uh, okay, if I think about it, hard. I won't do it. But um, anyway. Right, uh, right. So anyway, yeah, the, the opposition is still very free to organize. You know, uh, you can hold protests as long as you register them with the authorities. And it's like that in the U.S. too. Most of the True. U.S. The, uh, the problem is that the new regime that Orban rolled in after winning his two-thirds majority makes it very difficult for the opposition to ever win an election, practically. In theory, it would be possible for the opposition to win, but practically, it is not. Uh, my own feeling on it is that you know, Orban's been in power now for uh, more than 10 years. And then How he was also... He uh, was born in 63, so he's uh, 56, 57. Oh, so he's still relatively young. Yeah, right, right. Um, not known for keeping in particularly good shape. There's two ways he can leave office. Um, one is that he's going to uh, decide that it's time for him to retire. You know, maybe his health is getting the better of him, and uh, he decides to hand it off to a successor of his own free will. Or he leaves power in a pine box. You know, he's not going to be defeated in a democratic election uh, because he has cemented himself in power uh, through legal means. I want to pull back a little bit okay. as far as the geog- geographic focus and look at Eastern Europe in general. I realize it's a diverse uh, region, but I want to get a sense. Does the Orduan and Hungarian moves, is that echoing throughout Eastern Europe? I know, for example, in Turkey, you got Erdogan or whatever that guy's name is. What's his name? Erdogan, Erdogan? yes. Erdogan, yeah. Um, who's who's the leader there? Who's also doing similar moves? Of course, Putin has been doing this for a while, but I'm not sure if there if it's kind of spreading like a virus. This notion of kind of strong what it's called illiberal democracy. Illiberal democracy, right? Or so. What is your sense? They certainly found a uh, a receptive audience in Poland. Okay, um, where the ruling party there, which is for better or for worse, called PIS, um, the, uh, the, the, the PIS party, spelled P-I-S, is, um, is uh, very closely allied with Orban. In fact, is, um, they sort of have each other's back in the uh, European Commission, European Council. Is the PIS party, by the way, the same? There was those twins and one of them died in an airplane crash? Yes. Is it that party? Yes. Okay, okay got it. Yes. So, in, fact, in fact, he died, he died on the day that Orban was elected in 2010. Just oh, a funny. little, uh, or maybe it was the day before, but yeah, right, right, right at that weekend. And that's two data points. I mean, aside mm-hmm. from uh, Turkey and Russia as well, so that's four. Right. Anybody else in Eastern Europe that's kind of turning that way, or would you say that in general Eastern Europe has been uh, relatively strong democracies? I guess Ukraine is another kind of black eye. Right. Well, you, you Ukraine goes back and forth, and now they elected this comedian as their president. Really? And, uh, okay, I yeah. didn't catch that. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was a guy who... Um, that happened in 2020? 
Uh, no, it was like one or two years ago. I can't remember. Okay, got it. Okay, I didn't follow was, that. Yeah, yeah. I think it was last year. They uh, elected this guy who played a president on TV and oh, basically funny. ran for president <laughs> as a joke. Sounds like a, and, uh, well, it sounds like a combination of Ronald Reagan and Donald Trump. Yeah. Well, <laughs> apparently... Uh, Ronald the, Reagan the, the, was an actor. Uh, Donald Trump, I guess, was kind of an actor, too, in his Apprentice movie. Yeah. And not movie, but series. But, the, but the, this guy was actually funny. And he... Uh, <laughs> yeah, he there, there, there was this one uh, sketch that uh, they were playing uh, right after the election where uh, he and his sidekick were um, playing the piano with their dicks. And wow. uh, and this guy becomes only president. in Eastern Europe can you pull this off. <laughs> exactly, it's so, so amazing. Okay, so uh, what about uh, Hungary's neighbors, Slovakia and Croatia? All those guys are more or less hasn't changed as much. Would you say? No, I mean, no, any other haven't. standouts in the last ten years, Alex? That you would say, wow, this country in the last ten years really changed a lot. Maybe Bosnia, maybe somebody in the Balkans. Oh, but Bosnia uh, is, is stuck in time warp. It's it's like okay. uh, Groundhog Day. You wake up and it's the same thing every time. It's you know, this okay. uh, unworkable ethnic system uh, that was um, you know handed down as part of the war settlement, and uh, as a result, nothing ever changes. They just sit around and block each other, um, block any kind of legislation, and uh, so it's, so so it's a mess. That uh, in, in Serbia um, we. See a kind of um, strongman in the person of Alexander Vucic, who is the president. Um, but he is trying to curry favor with the European Union. You know, he uh, does not have absolute power, but uh, you know, governs in you know a large grouping of parties surrounding him. So uh, he, he uh, doesn't have a personal control over the governing party. Um, he might have de facto control, but at least on paper he doesn't. So, yeah, Vucic and Orban uh, have been very close. How about Romania? Uh, Romania is face apart. It's uh, basically mired in its own corruption. And uh, as far as I can tell, the, the, you know, it's a presidential system there. And the president is named uh, Johannes. He actually uh, seems like a above-the-board kind of guy, unless there's something that I'm not aware of. How about so, Czechia? Uh, uh, Czechia? Nobody actually calls it Czechia, by the way. <laughs> the, you know, the, the government and uh, you know, okay. So how do, how, do you say, but, how do you say the name in um, in Hungarian? How do you say uh, the country name? Uh, you would say uh, Czech Gostasashak, Czech Republic. But I think now they're trying to persuade everybody to call it Czechia, but it just sounds silly. Okay. Uh, I think they should call it. The, you know, the, call, if anything, call it Czechland or something. Czechland. Okay, Czechland. I like Czechia. Czechia just reminds me of like many other Eastern European countries that end with IA. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, they have a um, populist prime minister now in the uh, person of uh, Andre Babis. He is not uh, somebody who is uh, exercising this kind of absolute illiberal power. You know, accused of being too populist, perhaps... Um, a little uh, unwilling to cooperate over issues such as uh, settling migrants and stuff. But uh, generally speaking, a team player uh, with the European Union. So either we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse, which is Hungary, Poland, Turkey, and Russia. Is there any other people that we should, any other countries that we should include in that kind of group that has this illiberal tendencies besides those four horsemen of the apocalypse not that i can think of therefore my perception is not off that 
Hungary in many ways is once again kind of an island. You know, it's a linguistic island for sure. It's got a, such an odd language, unlike any other European language. You draw parallels to one of its neighbors, which is Poland, but I still get the sense that Hungary is far more down the path of illiberal democracy than Poland is, but maybe I'm wrong. Am I wrong? Um, no, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Just to help Americans who might be listening to this keep it in perspective, because a lot of people love to bandy about the term that Donald Trump was a dictator, you know, he's a fascist and all that other stuff. On a one to 10 scale, where would you put Hungary and Hungary's quote unquote version of fascism on a one to 10 scale versus America? And you have lived uh, several, many of your years in America. So you, I think you're in Buffalo, New York. Uh, yes, right. Right. So where would you put the two rating Donald Trump's administration versus or 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 there's no comparison okay. people call people call <laughs> so, okay, um, you know Donald Trump a, a dictator a fascist etc well they really you know do not know what dictators and fascists are all about um, you know <laughs> we have this thing in uh, America known as the Constitution okay and uh, this Constitution is um, considered a sacred document. If you tried to mess with the Constitution, I guarantee you some of Trump's staunchest supporters would end up turning their backs on him. Donald Trump did not mess with the Constitution. He did not rewrite the Constitution to cement himself in power. And that is what Orban did. The second he won the election, the second he got into power, first thing he says is, we need a new Constitution. You know, what you say there is so interesting because, and I think a lot of people miss that because... Europeans often kind of strut around and say we're old countries and and America is such a young country, a new country. And a lot of countries bandy that about. But I think maybe Iceland is the only country in the world that has an older constitution than the United States. Uh, Yeah, I think that's true. The way that we look at it is almost sacred versus constantly countries. I mean, I think Chile just voted on a new constitution just in 2020 and you know, Thailand, I mean, on and on, people love to change constitutions like we change underwear. And a lot of America, America has kind of a uniqueness in that sense on the global stage for having a relatively unchanged document. Of course, we make amendments to it, but overall, it is treated like, as you say, almost like a sacred document. Our, the, our constitution, we have the benefit that it was written by very brilliant men. Yeah. And yes, they're, you know, in case anyone gets yeah. upset, they were all men. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the United States is kind of unique that uh, with the exception of, uh, say, Abraham Lincoln and you know, perhaps Martin Luther King, all of the great people came at the beginning. People like Madison and Hamilton, uh, you know, setting up uh, the structures and uh, Adams and, uh, you, know, you know, Washington basically being the uh, very brilliant... You know, b- benevolent uh, leader of the country, although not an intellectual powerhouse in his own right. The value of that simply uh, cannot be downplayed. What you have in Hungary is a new constitution that was um, put together in 2011, went into force on January 2012, that is basically exists simply to cement uh, Fides in perpetual power and to ensure that Fides can accomplish all of its short-term goals. I got the sense, and not just with you, I mean, all over the place in Hungary, and I talked to a million Hungarians, not a million, but uh, quite a few Hungarians. And in general, they, they tend to 
be on the extreme end, like about being self-critical and about complaining about their own country. Now, by the way, all Europeans, especially Eastern Europeans, have this tendency. But it just seemed that Hungary was like top of its class as far as being self-critical and wallowing in its misery. Why do you stay in this country that even, you know, seems to have perpetually and perennially problems and negativity? Or is or is my perception completely off base? You know, if I, if I, if I were to return to the U.S., then my mother would eventually find out that I'm not really a gynecologist and it would break her heart. <laughs> I couldn't do that to her. So, um, no, in all seriousness, um, it's, it's Newton's first law of motion. A body at rest wants to stay at rest. You know, I'm very uh, deeply invested here. I've uh, bought this apartment. I bought lots of nice furniture. Um, you know, I'd have to give all that up. You know, when you get to a certain age, which, uh, which we're at, you know, you, you don't want to be gallivanting all around the world and, uh, you know, tilting at windmills in you know, new countries. You want to, uh, you, you want the peace and quiet. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Age wise, I am there, but uh, maturity wise, I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's sneaking up on me, sneaking up on me. I think, I think I'm what, one year older than you. Maybe. I don't know. But, uh, 69 or 70. <laughs> exactly. Are, no, are, are you born in 69 or 70? <laughs> I thought you were saying, am I 69 or 70 years old? Oh, I'm no. 70. I look good. You're 70? Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, would you say that I'm wrong about Hungarians being quite negative, even more so than the typical Eastern European? No, absolutely not. It's, it's absolutely a, hasn't um, changed. a major, major stumbling block. Uh, in the social psychology of this country, you know, Hungary is basically trying to, you know, beat itself in its own victimhood Olympics every day. <laughs> and that hasn't changed because that's the way I kind of perceived it and the way you also described it when I was with you. It doesn't seem like in the last 10, 15 years that much has changed on that metric. It hasn't. And Orban really knows how to uh, manipulate this and to, to uh, capture people's imaginations, kind of poke at that deep sense, that, that deep-seated sense of hurt and of being historically cheated and historically shortchanged and said, hey, you, you follow me and I'm going to make you great. That was his slogan uh, back in the early 2000s. Let us dare to be great. And Hitler did that whole with the stab in the back legend and, and all sorts of things that we got screwed over in World War I. And he kind of fomented that as well. But yes. speaking about the ultimate pity party, what about the Treaty of Trianon? Was it like hitting the front pages all over the place? It's a hundred year anniversary. Everybody bringing out their maps of Hungary that looks like a fish. Or, or did it kind of was, was a muted celebration due to COVID? Well, well, keep in mind, I don't think celebration is the right word. Right. It's, it's <laughs> commemoration. Yeah, commemoration. Commemoration. <laughs> And, uh, you know, uh, COVID certainly did put a damper on it. But, you know, they have this um, commemoration every year on June 4th. You know, national, I guess, holiday, but, but you don't get a day off work. Um, it's a day it's, of mourning. It's just an observance, day of observance, yes. Yeah. Yes, and they, they call it the, the day of solidarity. So there was you know, a bunch of, bunch of uh, patriotic speeches by bigwigs. Uh, you'd see a bunch of signs everywhere saying, anyone who is Hungarian is hurt by Trianon. You know, when the uh, great powers, you know, carved Hungary up after, um, you know, the First World War, 
I don't know if anybody had any conception of uh, the immense toll that that was going to take on social psychology in this country. Go to Romania. You know, all the streets are named after these great victories and you know, these great military leaders. And you, you, you have, um, you know, in the middle of Bucharest, you have Place of the Unification. Uh, the unification of Romania's three different parts, which includes Transylvania, uh, which was historically part of Hungary. You know, in Hungary, you have uh, streets named after Poets. military leaders who lost battles. <laughs> and so instead of, uh, instead of the, uh, the you know, great celebratory street names you have in Romania, you have like, you know, We Suck Boulevard. <laughs> and so, you know, it's all named, obviously, that's an, it's an exaggeration. The point is, is that they did commemorate the 100th anniversary as much as they could have, but not in a outrageous way. It wasn't a ridiculous pity party, perhaps muted due to COVID. Well, people were gathering, um, you know, these uh, far writers who are actually too far right for Orban, in fact, were um, collecting signatures, you know, basically say, uh, keep Trianon on the agenda. As in reversal, reversing Trianon. That was their, pretty much their aim, but they, but they didn't come out and say it. Right. Okay, fine. They just said, uh, you know, keep it on the agenda. Right. And um, I actually signed one of those petitions just because the woman was so nice to me. Okay. <laughs> That's kind. That's always... You know, it's like, you know, this ain't going anywhere anyway. Just, you know, help an old woman, you know, collect her signatures and let her get home. You know, exactly. it's, uh, right. she, she was very nice to me. It looks like if they could get one piece of their Trino lands back, it would probably be the lands in Transylvania. If they could just pick one. Oh, definitely, definitely. Nobody really cares about the, uh, the 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 land that went to Austria, the Burgenland. Right. I mean, the, 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 or the one that total went to, afterthought. Or Croatia or to Slovakia. Yeah, Croatia is mostly an afterthought. They're they're still kind of pissed off about Trieste and about um, you know Rijeka. Those were port cities, right? Right. And right. of course, they're very important to Hungary. Um, but it's really Romania's the if if a war happened, they'd be the first thing that they would go try to conquer would be. The Transyl uh, Transylvania, right? The, the division of uh, those lands was patently unfair. You know, I've, I've um, always thought, you know, since I began studying these things, that if your goal is long-term assimilation of a minority group, then uh, the best way to do it is leave them the hell alone. Mm -hmm. You know, say, hey, uh, you want? Uh, oh no, not, not not even autonomy, but just you know, say you know. You want mother tongue education? Of course you can have mother tongue education. But that's autonomy yeah. to some certain, a certain extent. Yeah. Well, I mean, not autonomy in the sense that there's a political unit that is right. autonomous from the rest of the country. Right. Just leave me um, the fuck alone. But, you know, yeah. You want to have your folk dancing celebration mm -hmm. in the town square? Yeah, sure. Mm -hmm. Send me an invitation. I'd like to come. Right. You know, that way, you know, people aren't feeling defensive. You know, they are feeling like their culture is something um, that they have to... Uh, defend at all costs. You know, you get mixing of, uh, you know, young men and young women, and the children are probably going to identify as Romanian. It is a paradox that the tighter you squeeze something, sometimes the, the the less control you have over it versus if you let it loose and give it a long leash, it eventually comes to you anyway. Uh, right, yeah, so, right. Uh, let me ask you this. Um, as far as the euro, we're moving back even further from Hungary, Eastern Europe, and even further. A lot of people predicted the demise of the euro or even the European yes. Union itself at one point. What is your take on its status and future of those two things, the euro and the EU? Obviously, the euro has proven uh, problematic. 
um, uh, with the debt crisis that the um, that the uh, Greeks touched off. And Hungary is not part of the euro because it has the foreign. Yes. In fact, this is one of the things that Orban did uh, to cement his power. He made it part of the constitution that the foreign is the official currency of Hungary, which means that if um, anybody ever wants to um, adopt the euro in Hungary, they're going to need the constitutional amendment, right. which means that uh, practically Orban is going to have control over whether or not the euro gets um, gets introduced here. And I imagine that the enthusiasm to have it is far less than it ever was. Yeah, I'd say so. It's uh, kind of a scary thing when you don't have control over your own monetary policy. Right. There was a time, though, that it really looked like a lot of people were talking about that the euro may just go kaput at some point. And, uh, I think it's it's got it's got too many benefits. Okay. So that, just to, just you know the very fact of not having to pay currency exchange fees when you're doing business right. in different parts of the European Union. That's uh, right. the 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 benefits of it are are manifold, uh, but there's also um, a lot of pitfalls. If we uh, we have another uh, situation that you know broke out with the debt crisis about uh, ten years ago, then it is quite possible that uh, people would end up dropping out of the euro. And I don't think that that is. I'm not sure what the legal status of that would be. How how you would do that? But there would certainly be a lot of pressure. Uh, sorry, there would certainly be a lot of pressure to um, to bring back the national currencies. What about in the year 2030? Do you think that the European Union will have? more or fewer countries right now we just through brexit kind of i guess in, to some extent they lost uh the uk you could argue that that's out the door um at the same time the balkans seems to be wanting to get into the eu so right. do you see in the next 10 years the eu expanding contracting or staying the same well, there are uh, certain countries that have been banging to, on the door for quite a long time, such as um, Macedonia, now known as North Macedonia, because of the little name dispute they had with Greece. Right. You know, I don't know how long the European Union would be able to string them along and say, uh, just a little bit longer, right. we'll let you in. But I mean, there was a while there when the euro was having so many problems that it seemed like just the whole idea of joining the euro and the EU seemed to be less popular and less desirable than it used to be. Orban is certainly having major problems with the European Union now. Of course. Yeah, um, he's violating and, probably um, all sorts of laws that they expect uh, him to have. Severe corruption. He's, you know, he's got these uh, oligarchs that he's uh, surrounded himself with. The European Union recently, you know, just uh, this month, tried to push through a rule saying that the, the disbursement of European Union uh, funds to the countries was going to be contingent upon having rule of law in the countries. Mm. And um, Hungary and Poland threatened to veto the entire budget over that. What does rule of law actually mean? Does that mean that we're going to um, you know, force Orban's son-in-law to give back the millions that he's taken from the Hungarian budget and uh, you know, pay back all the, uh, you know, sell the mansion that he's bought in the hills of Buda. I uh, don't think that that's you know, practical. Is, when is Hungary's next election? 2022, nat next national election, 2022. But the way you describe it, it sounds like it's a done deal. What? That, in other words, Orban is going to just win because he stacked the cards in his favor. Well, um, like I said, things are 
changing just recently. The uh, opposition is not known uh, for being able to organize very well. And they're not able, you know, the various opposition parties have been uh, very, um, they've had a very rough time cooperating with each other. Mm. Any attempt to create a united front against Orban was dashed because of infighting and uh, selfishness and pettiness and uh, just sheer incompetence and disorganization. You know, part of the problem is that for all of Orban's faults, he understands how to work. He understands politics. If you're going to try and mount a um, successful campaign against Orban through democratic means, basically you're going to be getting a group of people into a room a year before the election saying, see these four walls? Hope you like them because that's all you're going to be seeing for the next year. <laughs> you know? Right. You got a job? Quit it. <laughs> you got a family? Abandon them. Right. You know? There's a, you know, the, 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 it's, it takes really hard work. It takes, it's going to take militaristic discipline. And um, the opposition did not have that. But in 2019, in the local elections, they managed to get it together. Okay, so. They actually managed to unite in an anti-Orban coalition that spanned uh, you know, left and right. They managed to, to win the mayorship of Budapest, the mayor's office, uh, the Budapest City Council, and a number of other major cities. Okay. What do the Hungarians think of uh, President Biden? From anecdotal evidence, just talking to people, uh, basically, if you're a fan of Orban and Fidesz, you like Trump. If you're a supporter of the opposition, you like Biden. I never really understand why fascist type people like to gravitate and support other fascist type people. I just think that if you're kind of like a classic fascist, like my country is number one, number one, we're the best, that if some other country is singing the same tune, why would you like them? Like, why would you like their leader? Like Kim Jong-un, you know, for example. Why would I love him if I love Trump? Or why would I love Putin by default just because I like Trump or vice versa? I just don't understand that. But there does seem to be this notion that when you support one fascist, you got to support all fascists. It's so weird. Well, the, the Orban administration actually took the very um, unusual and I would say unadvisable step of endorsing Trump in 2016. Bad form for one government to endorse political candidates in another country. Right. You know, first of all, because they might lose. Right. And every, everybody did think Trump would lose. Uh, but Orban had a major um, uh, gripe from the days when Hillary Clinton was Secretary of State. Right. Same thing with uh, Russia had the same problem. Oh, right, right. What about the, the million-dollar question, which is, what do you think is going to be the future for Hungary? What are you looking in your crystal ball? I got to tell you, I, uh, I'm not particularly optimistic. Speaking about optimism, what about the youth? I mean, oftentimes I find that the youth are the revolutionary folk, but sometimes they're the ones behind the fascists. You know, they just they want the hardcore strong man or person. Usually it's a man. But in the case of like in Lukashenko in Belarus, you know, the, the, it seems like the youth are rebelling. Orban is looking at his opposition. Is it mainly coming from the youth and the university people who are creating revolutions or, or are they mostly his supporters? Again, this has been changing recently. New party that is uh, dominated uh, by young people, which is called Momentum. And uh, they seem to be doing pretty well. 
among university types. What is this uh, university, this momentum thing? What are they touting? Are they more like Green Party? Are they... They're European liberals. Okay. So they, they got into the European Parliament in the 2019 elections. Okay. They caucus with the liberals. They're, they're anti-Orban. Um, so they're pretty uh, mainstream as far as Europe is concerned. Yes. Like mainstream European. You know, anti-Orban, pro-human rights. In the 2020s, what do you see Hungary's, how do you see Hungary's situation? Make your prediction. Yeah, I see continued rule of uh, Viktor Orban for pretty much as much as he wants, as long as he wants. I don't want to go on for too long here, but, but here's an interesting anecdote. In 2015, Orban's wife uh, gave a interview to a celebrity gossip magazine in which she said that... Um, her husband, the prime minister, does not like losing. When they used to go for jogs together, she would be faster than him, and he used to pretend like he was getting winded and he had to, he had to slow down. And then uh, at the very end, he would sprint so he could say that he beat her. There's only one time that there's been any kind of uh, contest that she's lost to him is when they were on a skiing holiday. She managed to beat him down the hill in the skiing race. Orban went to the uh, organizers and prevailed upon them to divide the race up into men and women so that he could win the men's side. <laughs> and this tells you a lot about how Orban operates. Right. Okay? He will always use the two-thirds majority that he has in order to change the rules to tip the playing field back in his direction. When a new threat arises, they'll address it through legislation. Even if he were to lose power, you know, he still managed to put vast sways of the economy in the control of his uh, loyal friends, uh, or you know, called the oligarchs. He still has control over, I would venture to say, 80% of the news media. This is party control, not government control. Party control. He still has his close buddies heading up all the supposedly independent uh, state institutions. So if an opposition government were to come to power, it would have to look like the storming of the Bastille. You, you would have to get rid of everything that Orban has built up over the past 10 years because you can't be the captain of a boat where you've got you know, the, 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 the strongest rowers rowing in the opposite direction that you're rowing in. What I do think will happen is that he'll probably be forced to fall below the two-thirds level sooner or later. But again, when he sees it coming, always, he's always got new legalistic tricks up his sleeve. You, know, you asked before, do I see the EU falling apart? No, I don't. Even though Orban has his, power, his problems with Hungary, um, the polls show that something like 75% of Hungarians are um, very eager to stay in the European Union. He would have to pull some uh, really fancy footwork in order to persuade people to come to his side should he ever decide that it's time to leave. But he could do that with a two-thirds majority in Parliament. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the WanderLearn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. 
four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.